since I took so much time talking about India, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on review, but just to say this, the book of Acts is about the early church. And as you look at the early church, that Jesus had ascended back into heaven, and he had left them a gift. The gift was what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them in a mighty and a powerful way, and he saw a total transformation in the apostles and in the early church. They went from being men of sleep and men of doubt and men of fear and men of anxiety and men of of, you know, ready, fire, aim, and out of control to men who are led by the Spirit of the living God, leading thousands to Christ. And that's what needs to happen in my life and your life if we're going to be effective for God's kingdom. If we're just trying to do it in our own fleshly ability, we're going to be like the apostles before Pentecost. We'll do a lot of work, but there'll be very little fruit. But when the Holy Spirit is upon us, He does great things. And then we saw as we've been moving through Acts, we saw the salvation of Saul. We saw the Gentile, Gentile Pentecost as the Gentiles come to know Christ. Two weeks ago when I left on Sunday, we saw the unity in Christ, that, that there are no Jews or Gentiles anymore. They were all one in Christ. And now we get to chapter 12, and we're going to see the sovereign hand of God. We're going to see that God is in control just as much in times of persecution and martyrdom as in times of deliverance, divine judgment, and the spreading of God's Word. We're going to see this morning that God is in control when we're in the midst of trials. How many of you are either in a trial right now just came, or just came out of a trial recently? Raise your hand. Okay, if your hand's not up, get ready, because it's coming, okay? Because the Bible says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, amen? Not if, but when. And as Christians, we go through difficulty, but God allows us to go through difficulty that we might more fully trust in Him. If our lives were perfect, if there were no trials, we'd be on the cruise ship to heaven, and we'd be able to do it on our own. But trials get our eyes on Him, and we're going to see that God is in control, even in the midst of persecution. We're also going to see that God is in control and that He can deliver us from any trial or difficulty. We'll see that the key to that is the power of prayer. We'll see that God is in control over our enemies, that we're to leave it in His hands. We're not to, we're not to seek vengeance. We're not to strike back. We're not to do that. Do you see any apostles after Pentecost fighting anybody? The answer is no. You see, you, know, you see Peter lopping off ears before Pentecost, right? You see Peter taking out a sword and cutting people's ears off. And you see Peter out of control. But after Peter came to know Christ, everything changed. And he was no longer that man. And then lastly, we'll see that God is in control, that His Word will endure. So let's begin in verse 1, seeing that God is in control even in the midst of trials and persecution. Verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. So the church is united. The first Christians, the first people have been called Christians in Antioch. And this king by the name of Herod comes along. And his desire is to persecute the church. We're going to see in a moment that he had motives. But that name Herod probably rings a bell. His grandfather was the man who had attempted to kill all the ba- newborn uh, male babies in Bethlehem. Who was he trying to kill? Jesus. He was trying to kill Jesus because Jesus is the promised Messiah. And he didn't want anybody else to be the king of the Jews, so he was killing all the babies. And we know that Jesus, of course, being God, was delivered from that. His nephew was a, was a, a man by, Herod, by the name of Herod Antipas. Herod was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. Remember, John the Baptist came and told him, that woman you're with is not your wife and you're an adulterer. And he had him beheaded. And, the, and Herod and all of his family are descendants of, of the Edomites, which are descendants of Esau. Now, Herod Agrippa, this guy that we're talking about here, had been imprisoned by the emperor because he had run up huge debts. He'd made careless uh, comments about the emperor himself. And then he was finally released. And he had gone back to be one of the rulers in Palestine. 
But he had this shaky relationship with the government, so he tried to please the Jews. He thought, if I can get the Jews on my side, even though I'm struggling and I'm having difficulty with the government, if I can keep the Jews in line, if I can do good things for them and they're owing to me, then I'll continue to keep my position. So with that in mind, he thought, I'm going to go after the Christians because the Jews don't like them. If I go after the Christians, I'll have the Jews on my side. Verse 2. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James is one of the apostles. James was one of the ones in the inner circle with Jesus. You guys remember that he had the twelve, but within the twelve he had the three. Peter, James, and John. When he went on the Mount of Transfiguration, who did he take with him? Peter, James, and John. When he went up to pray, who would he most often take with him? Peter, James, and John. These were the guys that were closest to Jesus. And so Herod, wanting to get in good with the Jews, said, you know what, I'm going to kill one of those Christians. And who did they go after? I believe, again, inspired by Satan. Who does he go after? He goes after one of the leaders. And he kills James, cuts off his head. Now, it indicates basically, based on the kind of death that he died, that they accused him of leading people to a false god, that god being Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, again, being in India, false gods are everywhere. And I was told by the leaders of the school not to tell anybody I was a Christian. That didn't work out too well for me. I couldn't do it. People kept asking me, you go outside, I go to use the phone, they'd say, oh, and by the way, I was the only, the only other American I saw in the entire time I was there was the guy I was traveling with. We stuck out like a sore thumb, okay? And so they would see you and go, oh, where are you from, you know? So what are you doing here? And I remember telling the first guy, they said, tell me you're a teacher. It's an, it's an honest answer. I said, well, I'm a teacher. He says, well, what are you teaching? All right, that's it. I'm teaching people about Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. He's a risen and living Savior. He loves you. He died for you. And God sent me here halfway around the world to train up Bible college students so they can go out and tell people like you about how much Jesus loves you. And he said, oh, really? Well, I'm a Hindu. I said, well, I'll pray for you. And, and the bottom line is that the people in the, the camp would get a little nervous. That Dave guy is a little, you know, we need to, just, dude, just relax, you know. But the reality is you cannot deny his name. Amen. Somebody asks me, I'm going to tell them. And you know what the reality is? God is in control. And God is sovereign. And you know what? Though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. I'm going to trust you, Lord. And so James is out there sharing his faith and being used mightily by God. And Herod says, let me get rid of that guy. And so he puts him to death. Now it's interesting. Don't turn there. I'll just read it to you. Back in Matthew, do you remember when James and John's mom came to Jesus? And what did they ask for? Who knows? He said, when you enter into your kingdom, can my sons once sit on your right hand and once sit on the left? And Jesus said to them, do, can you drink of the cup? You don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I am able to drink and be baptized with a baptism? And they said, we are able. And Jesus said, you will indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right and left hand is not mine to give, but it's for my Father in heaven. Now, it's interesting that the cup he was talking about was the cup of what? suffering, persecution, the fact that he was going to go to the cross. And they said, we are able to drink of that cup. And isn't it interesting that James was the first apostle that was martyred? Because he did indeed drink of that cup. He was put to death for sharing his faith and being loyal to the Lord. And they said, we're able, and then they found out just how heavy the price would be. So James has been put to death, the first apostle to die. So all the apostles quit now, right? They say, you know what? One of us has been killed. This isn't worth giving up my life for. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to quit. 
I'm going to do what I did at the cross. When, when Jesus went to the cross, what did all the apostles do? They ran and hid. But not anymore. Now they've been filled with the Spirit of the living God. And they're not going to run and hide anymore. They're just going to keep on preaching the gospel. They're just going to keep on sharing their faith. Like I told the guys in India, I said, you know, when I go through persecution and difficulty, which is nothing like what you go through, I can't even imagine. You should teach me. I said, but when I go through difficulty, it makes me want to say one word, and the word is charge. Because in the midst of difficulty means God is doing great things. Amen? And realize, who did they go after? Who does Satan go after? When he wants to persecute somebody, who do they go after? One of the leaders. He goes after James. And I believe that, that you know, very clearly the Bible teaches that Satan's resources are limited. So who is Satan going to go after? Those who God is using the most. Well, another reason for me not to do anything for the kingdom of God. Right? Another reason for me to just sit at home and watch football and go to church about once a month. But the reality is that if you've been born again and you're filled with the Spirit of the living God, you can't help but be, have an impact on the world around you. Amen? You can't help but be burdened for the lost. So James has been put to death, verse 3. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded then to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So he goes and arrests arrests Peter, and I believe here he was going to put Peter to death. But the feast had begun. And the feast of unleavened bread came at the time of Passover. It was an eight-day-long feast. Those of you here in Exodus. And during that eight-day-long feast, there were to be no trials. They were totally dedicated to religious service. So they take Peter, they put him in prison. At the end of that eight days, they're going to give him the James treatment. They're going to put him to death also. James and Peter, the two leaders of the church, let's go get those guys. We can kill them. We can, we can put the church to its end. And so they go and grab Peter, and they throw him into prison again in commemoration of the deliverance uh, from Egypt in Exodus. Verse 4. So when he had arrested him, they put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So what they did with Peter, more than likely, is they chained him up on each side with one soldier on each side, and then they had two soldiers who stood right outside of his cell to watch over him. They were making sure Peter didn't get away. Remember before Peter had been put in prison, actually twice he'd been put in prison, what happened? He got out. And they said, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to put four squads of soldiers on this guy, and each person's going to have a six, so each of these four men would be on six hours a day. They had four different squads that would come in, and they would be chained up to Peter to make sure that he didn't get away. Well, the sad part is that that sounds great from the world's perspective. And if, if man was in control, that's a great plan. But who's in control? God's in control. God is sovereign. God is faithful. And we're going to see the sovereign hand of God in the midst of difficulty. Again, Herod said, man, they're not getting away. Now realize, too, that the penalty for any of these soldiers, if the, Lord, if the prisoner got away, was they would have to face the same penalty the prisoner was going to get. And that penalty would be death. So do you think they were attentive? Do you think they knew that Peter had gotten away before? They were in there chained up going, dude, you ain't going nowhere, right? I mean, my life's on the line. You're staying. That's it. I'm not going to let you out of my sight. No doubt they were all keeping their eyes peered on Peter. And it's interesting that here's Peter. He's been put under arrest. Peter's in prison. And we're going to watch and see how Peter responds. We're going to see if he's anxious, if he's bitter, if he's worried. And we're going to see in a moment that Peter does yet again escape. Now, why is it that James was put to death and Peter is going to escape? Have you ever wondered when you read in the Bible, why does James die? Why does Peter get let go? You know, that doesn't seem fair. 
James was serving the Lord the same heart that Peter was, and that's true. But let me tell you the answer. The answer is the sovereign will of God. Let me ask you a question. What happened to James when he died? Where'd he go? He's in heaven. Now, does that sound like a bad deal to you? Peter's probably going, wait a minute. You want me to hang out here and be persecuted for the next 30 or 40 years? You know, and James gets to go to heaven? That doesn't seem fair. It all depends on where your perspective is. Amen? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And since God is in control and I'm not, I just need to serve Him with my whole heart. And whatever God chooses to do, praise the Lord because He knows what's best for me. And that's what happened to James. James died, but Peter didn't. God, in His infinite wisdom, because of His own perfect will, chose to spare Peter to use him. But at the same time, He did not choose to spare James. Now, they had prayed for boldness in Acts chapter 4. Do you remember what happened? They threatened him and said, if you preach in this name anymore, we're going to kill you. And what did they pray? They said, Lord, give us boldness. They didn't say, Lord, deliver us from this persecution. They said, Lord, give us boldness. Well, they had boldness. And what happened with their boldness? James died and Peter got put in prison. Man, that, let me put that. That's two reasons not to serve God with my whole heart today. Let me write that down. Here's the reality, that if we serve God and we're sold out for Him and we're in love with His Word and we're passionate about Him, there are going to be people that don't like it. Now, I want to say this again. We should always be sharing in love. Amen? Always in love. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. That's why we must speak the truth in love. Sometimes people think they're being persecuted because they're standing on a soapbox screaming at people with a bullhorn that they're going to hell. No, you're not being persecuted. You're just a jerk, and people don't like jerks, right? I mean, that's reality. But we should be loving people and sharing God's Word with people. But when we do, guess what? Some people are not going to like it. We live in a country today where they're trying to outlaw under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. They want to take in God we trust off of our coins. They want to take the Ten Commandments. You know, you can talk about anything you want, but don't you dare talk about Jesus. I just read the book called The Name on the Flight, Over by Franklin Graham, and he talked about how when he closed the prayer at the presidential inauguration in Jesus' name, how he caught flack from people all over the country. Newspaper articles were written. People called in and threatened him. People gave him a hard time. He said, whose name did you think I was going to pray in? I'm a Christian. But, but, here, but people don't want us. They want to silence his name. And when we stand up for his name, we're going to face persecution. Just remember that God is in control. God allows us to go through difficulty that He might be glorified. It's that God might be glorified, not that we might be comfortable. And no matter how difficult the trial or how disappointing the news, remember that God is in control. And also remember this, what Satan means for evil, God will use for good. How many of you have been in a trial before, and when you're going through it, it seems horrendous, and you get to the other side and you go, look at all the good that came of this. Raise your hand. Almost every hand in the room is up. That's what God does with trials. We go through difficulty that God might be glorified, that He might transform our lives. So number one, the sovereign hand of God. We see that God is in control in the midst of persecution. And we're also going to see here that God is in control, that He can deliver us from any trial. Look at verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now, I was studying for this message on the flight home. And when I read this prayer, I thought of you guys. Because I know that constant prayer was offered up by the church for me when I was in India. God bless you guys. 
I know the reason my stomach didn't hurt. I know the reason that God was giving me the freedom to teach God's word without notes and the freedom to just be able to share the truth. and All those kinds of things. I know it's because you prayed for me. And, and God bless you guys. But you know what? Should we not all the more pray for each other? Amen? We should be praying for each other. We should have a burden for each other. And as they prayed, God did great things. It says in 1 Peter, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know, the Holy Spirit, was, it was Peter was filled with the Spirit of the living God. And now he's going to face an incredible trial. But he's got a church praying for him. He's got the Spirit of God living in him. And let's watch how he responds. May this be an example to us. Verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was, what was he doing? Chewing on his nails and fretting. He was pacing. He, he was brawling with the guards. He was planning his escape. He was trying to find something he could use for a key. He was trying to find a way out. He was murmuring and complaining against God. How could you do this to me? Is that what Peter was doing? What does it say he was doing? He was sleeping. The same Peter that when the storm came up, when Jesus said, we're going to the other side in Mark chapter 2, he said, we're going to the other side. What did Peter do? And all the apostles, when the storm came up, they panicked. What did they say? Lord, don't you care? They went and woke up the Lord. Lord, don't you care? We're, the storm is kicking up. We're all going to drown. You need to wake up and help. And the reason that they panicked is that their eyes were on the storm instead of on the Savior. Jesus was sleeping. They should have said, hey, Jesus isn't worried about it. He's the one that promised to take me over to the other side. My eyes are on him. It's all good. But instead what happened was they panicked. I believe Peter learned with that lesson and many others, now filled with the Holy Spirit, he's acting like Jesus in the midst of his trial. What does he do? He's not panicking. He's not looking at his circumstances. He's sleeping. He's resting in the Lord. Hey, when you go through difficulty, may God, by his grace, allow you to rest in him. May you not panic or fret or be worried because God is in control and he loves you and he knows what's best for you. So we see Peter resting in the Lord. If you were chained to two soldiers and you were, and you were facing the fact that you were going to be executed in a matter of days, would you be sleeping or panicking? It's a sign of where we're at with the Lord. If we can sleep, if we can rest, if we can trust in him. And it's interesting because look at the next verse. Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone inside the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Now I find it funny that the angel had to wake him up. He was sleeping sound. Peter was not worried. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, was totally resting in the Lord. It says a bright light shined into the room first. It doesn't say Peter woke up when the light went on. Some of you may be light sleepers. Someone turns on a light and you're, you know, you're out of bed. Now, when an angel shows up, do you think there's a little bit of light or a lot? Right? It'll probably be like double halogen lights like they got on tops of those trucks that people drive around, right? Right into the room. And those lights came on and Pete's just, just napping. Why? Because he's resting in the Lord. Because he's not overwhelmed by the waves anymore. He's become so spiritually mature by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of him that when difficulties come, Lord, I trust you. Lord, you're in control. Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you. So he rests in the Lord. He'd been a prisoner before. He knew that James had been executed, but he still trusted God. What is it that gave Peter such peace? I believe it's two things. One, 
The Lord had promised Peter that he would grow to be an old man. In John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, he told Peter how he would die, and that he would die older in life. So he had the promise of the Lord. That's number one. Number two, he was, well, actually should be three, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And number three, the church was praying for him. Church is praying for him. He's in prison. He has peace. Holy Spirit's with him. He has peace. God promised, Jesus promised him. He has peace. I believe he learned the lesson going across the waves. I believe he learned the lesson when he stepped out on the water and he was walking on water. And as soon as he got his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. You know what? It's the trials that Peter had gone through previously that allowed him to rest in the midst of this one. And it's the trials that you and I have been through previously in our lives that allow us now to rest in the Lord when we go through them again. In Isaiah 41.10 it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Psalm 480, he says, I will, both lie, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know what? It's been said that a clear conscience is a soft pillow. And you know what? When you have the Holy Spirit living inside of your life, you can rest and be still and trust God. Lord, I, know I don't fully understand what I'm going through, but I know that you do. And that's all that matters. I trust you. Lord, I put it into your hands. Lord, your will be done. I'll tell you what, there would, be, there would be very little worry in the church if we could look at things that way. Peter's peace came through prayer and trusting in God's promises, trusting that God would indeed uh, deliver him if it was according to his will. Again, he was praying and trusting, the church was praying and he was trusting in the Lord. So not only is Peter resting, but look what else Peter does. Verse 8. Then the angel said, Gird yourself and tie your sandals, and so he did. And he said, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what, he was, what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So what does Peter do? Along with resting in the Lord, when the Lord gives him instruction, Peter obeys. He rests in the Lord and then he obeys the Lord. Now, I love the fact that the angel is going to do the supernatural part of this, but he's going he's to have Peter do the natural part. He didn't put Peter's clothes on for him. He didn't tie Peter's shoes on him. He said, Peter, get up, get your stuff on, we're going. Now we're going to see the angel's going to open the gate. We're going to see the angels has loosed the chains and knocked the chains off of him. The angel's doing the supernatural, but Peter's still called by God to do the natural. God still wants you and I to do the natural. Amen? Could God do it all himself? Of course he can. He's God. He can, do, he can open up the sky this afternoon and tell everybody they, they need to be saved. He could do it. But instead he gives us that gift and us that privilege of sharing our faith with others. But he still wants us, and, and this I'll, I'll just share with you in my heart. I have people call, we have people call our church office all the time. And they say, hey, you know, we're kind of struggling, and can you help us? And we love to help people. But then I'll say, so where you, well, I've been out of work for about nine months. Well, how come? Well, you know, my, you know they always got an excuse. My, my neck, my back, my arm or something, you know. Then, you know. And they come down to church and they're 24 years old and look like they could carry a truck on their back, you know. But they want to be helped. And, and, you know, when the Lord rained manna out of the sky, He made them get up out of the tent and go get it every morning. Amen? And too often people say, well, I want, and the, or they'll say, the Lord's not providing. I've been laying here eating bonbons and watching soap operas, and I can't figure out why the Lord's not providing. You know, I, the Lord just hasn't given me a job. How many hours have you spent looking for one today? Well, I've just been kind of sitting by the phone hoping someone would call. No, the Lord wants us to do the natural that He might do the supernatural. Amen? He wants us to respond in obedience to Him. 
Peter, get up. Put your shoes on. Step up, bro. Look, I'm going to go before you. You follow me. You follow me. You obey me, Peter. And the Lord wants us to do the same. He wants us to respond, and He wants us to do the natural, that He might do the supernatural for us and through us. Verse 9, So He went out and followed Him, and did not know it was done by an angel was real, but thought He was seeing a vision. So He wasn't even sure. Is this real? The chains are falling off, but in, in, in either way, He went and He followed the angel anyway. Verse 10, When they were past the first and second guard post, they came to an iron gate that leads to the city, which was open to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Now notice, Peter's in the midst of this miraculous event, and as soon as he's been delivered to the point where the supernatural has been done for him, the angel leaves. And he leaves Peter to continue to walk in obedience. Okay, Pete, I got you out of prison. That was my plan. The people have been praying for you. I've got you right here. Now, Peter, I want you to walk in obedience to my spirit. You're filled with the spirit of living God. Walk in obedience to me. Listen to my still, small voice. The angel showed up. The supernatural has been done. Now walk in obedience. Hey, guys, the Lord wants us to obey. To obey is better than sacrifice. Amen? We don't obey so he will love us. We obey because he loves us. Let me tell you what I told these guys in India, and I'll tell you. I told them after every class at the very end, I said the same thing. I said, guys, you have the highest calling in the world. Your calling is higher than the prime minister of India. Your calling is higher than the president of the United States. Your calling is to be a tool that God uses to reach a lost world with the gospel. There's no higher calling in the world than that. When you go home and study tonight, keep that in mind. You have a high calling. You know what? That's true of every one of us in this room. Amen? When Jesus saved us, He didn't save us to be pew potatoes. Amen? He didn't save us to be the biggest, fattest, best-fed sheep. He saved us that He might use us for His glory. And the calling that He has on our life is the highest calling that there is. We get to share Jesus with people who are dying in their sin. We get to give the antidote to the death serum to people who are so desperately in need of Almighty God. We have the highest calling on the planet. And Peter walks in obedience to that. He's called by God, and now he gets outside the gate. God's done the supernatural. He's delivered him from the prison, but now Peter must respond. Verse 11, and when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for certain the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. You notice that whenever God does something supernatural, that a spirit-filled man gives God the glory. Amen? When God does something supernatural, a spirit-filled man or a spirit-filled woman gives God the glory. You know, when Peter earlier, remember in chapter 10, when he went and all the Gentiles and, and Cornelius bowed down and, and wanted to worship him, what did Peter say? He said, get up. Don't worship me. You know, when 3,000 souls got added in a single day, he didn't start the, the Apostle Peter uh, you know, evangelistic society. And here's our toll-free number for contributions, right? Peter said, God be all the glory. He didn't have his name in front of He said, to God be all the glory. God's doing it. I'm just a tool in his hands. A tool in the hands of the master. And Peter's gone out and he said, the Lord has delivered me. He didn't say, man, that was pretty sweet how I got out of jail. That was pretty nice, right? And sometimes we do that. You know, we're in the midst of a trial and we pray and pray and ask God to help and then God does and then we take the credit. Yeah, that was pretty smart financial decision making I made there. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. I, I, you know, Got myself out of that program. Right? I'm pretty smart. You know? I just worked really hard. I was just diligent. Worked my way through it. To God be all the glory. Amen? 
Touch not the glory. Peter said, the Lord delivered me. And the word therefore delivered is the same word Stephen used in talking about the Egyptians being delivered out of bondage. And that's what they're celebrating. They're celebrating Passover here, right? They're celebrating when they were delivered out of Egypt. And it's the same word here that Peter was delivered just as the Jews were delivered out of bondage. So Peter was delivered out of the bondage of the chains that he was in. So we're going to see not only did he rest... And he obeyed, but now Peter's going to testify. Verse 12. So when they considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. This is the house of John Mark and his mother. While many were gathered together praying. So Peter's in prison. They're gathered together for as much as a week. We don't know how long. And they've been praying for many things, but most specifically, they're praying for what? What are they praying for? Peter to be delivered out of bondage, right? They're on their knees and they're praying, Lord, please deliver Peter. You know, James is dead, and Lord, we know you're in control, but Lord, if it be your will, would you please deliver Peter out of bondage? Lord, he's a mighty man of God, and he's a voice for you, and Lord, would you deliver him, please? And they're praying day and night for Peter, verse 13. And Peter knocked at the door of the gate, and a girl named Rhoda came to the door to answer. So the people are inside, and they're praying for Peter to be delivered. And while they're praying for Peter to be delivered, Peter comes to the door, the gate outside of the court, and knocks on the gate. And the people... So Rhoda goes out, hearing the gate, and opens it up, verse 14. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she didn't open it up, she just heard his voice. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Well, thanks a lot. Now, now Peter just escaped from prison. Do you think that if people found out that he had escaped, what would they be doing? They'd be looking for him. So Peter's standing out at the gate, knocking on the gate, right? The angel's not there anymore. Peter's out front knocking on the gate. Rhoda comes and hears his voice and runs in to tell everybody. Pete's out there going, hello? Guards could be coming. Um, could open the gate. Be nice. Peter could get delivered from prison, but he couldn't get into a prayer meeting. You know? It's pretty amazing. Right? So, so Peter's knocking on the door. He got out of prison. He couldn't get in. He stands outside. There's potential danger. And so, so Rhoda's going to run and tell him that Peter, the one they've been praying for, is at the gate. And they're all going to rejoice and praise God and run out to greet him. Now look at verse 15. They said to her, you're beside yourself. You're outside your mind, right? Yet she kept insisting. They said, it's his angel. So they're praying that Peter would be delivered. Peter shows up and they don't believe it. Have you ever prayed for something before? I've shared this with you before. Have you ever prayed for something before and then God does it and you're surprised? Who's ever done that before? I have. I told you the story. There's a woman in our church in Lancaster. She came up and her, with her husband. She was very weak. She'd just been diagnosed two days earlier, head-to-toe cancer, inoperable. They were giving her days to live. So we, the Bible says, if there are any sick among you, you call for the elders, you lay hands on and pray. Now, if God chooses to heal her, He does. It's for His glory. So we pray for her. That was on Sunday. On Wednesday afternoon, I get a phone call from her, and she's crying on the phone. He says, Pastor Dave, I just went to the doctor and all my cancer is gone. I go, really? Are you sure? Really? I mean, now wait a minute. Wasn't I praying? Lord, I know that you can heal her. Lord, I believe that you can. You're almighty God. You put the stars in the sky. You can touch her and take the cancer away. And then she called, oh, yeah, I was healed. What? And I called, then I called the other pastor and he's like, no way. Are you sure? 
Great pastors we are, right? And so here these guys are. They're having this prayer meeting. Oh, Lord, deliver Peter. Lord, just... And Peter's at the door, and she comes and tells him, you must be nuts. He's in prison. He's in chains. He couldn't be here. They didn't trust what they were praying. But it just shows to go, show you, goes to show you that God can use the prayer of even those whose faith is not fully where it needs to be. The answer came. He's at the door, but because of fear and unbelief, they did not go and check. Verse 16. Now Peter continued knocking. He keeps knocking at the door. And when they opened the door, they were astonished. God answered prayer. I can't believe it. We've been praying specifically for this. Can I share with you at least a little bit? This is your... Pa- hey, I love the Lord with my whole heart. You guys know I do. But I'm also a man that has a lot of growing to do. I'm actually shocked that my stomach didn't bother me the whole time I was in India. Can I tell you that? Because it's bugged me for 11 years straight. Every day of my life. And I couldn't believe. Two days in, I'm like, oh, okay, what did I eat yesterday? Maybe I should eat that again. You know, and, I, and I'm just trying to, and all of a sudden, three days, four days, five days. And I'll be honest with you, there was no time for my stomach to hurt. Because I was teaching from early in the morning until I went to bed at night. And it was by God's grace that He allowed me to do what I was doing. But I, ca- I have to confess to you openly that I was kind of shocked. It's going to hurt tomorrow for sure, I'm sure. You know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it just didn't. And can I tell you that it doesn't hurt right now either. So praise God. But here's the thing. We need to learn to trust God to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think and not be blown away when God answers prayer. We're blown away when God answers prayer because we don't pray enough and see enough prayers answered. If God was answering prayers for us every single day, wouldn't we start to trust Him to answer prayer? But He can't answer prayers every day if we don't pray every day. Amen? But if we pray without ceasing, this is the will of God. Our faith's going to grow. So, verse 17, but motioning to them, so they're astonished, and he motions to them to be quiet. They're jumping up and down, they don't know what's going on, they're beside themselves, and he walks in and tells them to be quiet, and he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and the brethren, and he departed and went to another place. So what does Peter do? Peter not only rests in the Lord, not only obeys the Lord, but he testifies of the Lord. In the midst of a trial, he testifies of God's grace. He points to the Lord. The Lord's the one who delivered me. The Lord's the one who took care of me when I didn't have a job for six months. The Lord's the one who gave me peace when I was diagnosed with cancer. The Lord's the one who comforted me when I lost a family member. The Lord is the one who strengthens me every day, though I have a chronic illness. The Lord is the one. In the midst of a trial, may we testify of God's grace. Amen? And give him all the glory. And that's exactly what Peter did. He stopped him and talked about the Lord. And then he said, go tell these things to James. Now obviously this is not the James of the son of Alphaeus because he's dead. This is James, the brother of Jesus. The one who wrote the epistle James. The one who is now the head of the church in Jerusalem. Who didn't actually really get saved until after, crucifix- after the resurrection. Verse 18. So we've seen that, that him testify in his behalf... Peter, we see here, basically is leaving the Bible, the book of Acts. We're going to see him one more time in, verse, in chapter 15, and now we're going to move more into Paul's ministry. Okay, But again, we should never underestimate the power of a praying church. The greatest moves of the Spirit always come when people pray. You want to see God do something good? Start praying. Amen? You got family members that don't know Christ? Start praying for them by name. You got a boss at work that's really hard to deal with? Start praying for him. You got a neighbor? Pray for him. You got something you're struggling with, pray. 
Your relationship with the Lord is where it needs to be. Pray. Seek God's face. We need to pray more. So we're also going to see now that God is in control and dealing with our enemies. Verse 18. Now, it doesn't say here that Peter then went down and hunted down Herod and lopped off his ear. Right? You know, Peter's been known to do that. He didn't have very good aim, by the way. But he lopped off an ear when they tried to arrest Jesus. But this time, Peter's been delivered. He doesn't go to seek vengeance. He just continues on doing God's work. He goes on to minister to other people. He leaves the vengeance in the hands of the Lord. And guess what? God does a pretty good job of that. Verse 18. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small, small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. I guess so. Because what did this mean for the soldiers? They're going to die. Can you imagine being the soldiers? The, the light comes in. They're all out. They wake up and Peter's gone. No small stir. Yeah, evidently not. Okay? And now watch what happens. Verse 19. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So we have no doubt what he was going to do with Peter. Because they would only give the judgment against the guards that was meant for the, for the prisoner. So we know he was going to kill Peter. But remember that we are indestructible until God is through with us. Amen? You plus God is the majority. You're on God's side. It doesn't matter what the world wants to do to you. God's faithful. He's in control. We're not to tempt the Lord our God. We're not to say, hey, I'm indestructible until God's through with me, so I'm going to jump off this 50-story building. No, then God is through with you. All right? But if you're sharing your faith and you're serving the Lord and difficulties come, you're not going to die one second before one second after God says so. Amen? He, had, he, he numbered your days before He created the universe. There's peace in that, in just trusting God. We're almost done here. Verse 20. Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made blasts to the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied by food by the king's country. So the people of Tyre and Sidon were under the grips of King Herod because his people supplied food for the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they were worried that if he didn't supply them food, they were going to starve to death. So now they're going to butter up Herod. And so look how they do this. Verse 21. So, they, so on a set day, Herod arrayed in fine apparel, sat on his throne, and gave oration to them. Now according to Josephus, who's a first century writer who was not a Christian, he was arrayed in, a, in an all-silver outfit, and he sat up on the throne, and he had these people right where he wanted them. Because if they did not convince him, they were all going to starve to death. They had to win his favor to get food. Do you think they might be a little motivated to encourage this guy or to, to raise him up? So what do they do? Look at verse 22. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. So he starts speaking, and they're trying to butter him up so they can get some food, and they're saying the voice of a God and not a man, the voice of a God and not a man. Now it's interesting to me because when I read this, I instantly thought of somebody. I thought of the Antichrist. You know when the Antichrist comes, that the only way people are going to be able to eat, buy, sell, is they're going to have to take the mark of the beast. They're going to have to honor the Antichrist, and if they don't, they won't eat. And you know what? He's going to be doing the very same thing. He's going to put, him in the place, put, self in the, put himself in the place of a God, not a man. And notice that the people, now when they came to Peter and tried to make him a God, or tried to elevate Peter, Peter said, stand up. I'm nothing. I'm just a man. Don't kiss my ring. Don't honor me. Honor him. Herod instead says, honor me. I love being honored. You know, the world says success is defined by how many people serve you. And the Bible defines success by how many people you serve. And so here's Herod wanting to be served, wanting to be magnified, wanting to be lifted up. 
And Herod did not give God the glory. Look what happens to Herod. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. Hello. Now our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. Amen? Aren't you glad? But he's also a God of judgment when man continually rejects him over and over and over. Eventually man gets what he chooses. Herod chose to be praised, chose to be honored. God struck him down. You know what? Men praised him, and it ended in death. God honored Stephen. God honored Peter. Do you want to be praised by men or praised by God? Who are you more concerned with being popular before? When, who, when you get up in the morning, who are you thinking about pleasing today? Who are you thinking about honoring today? Whose focus, whose who's encouragement, whose love do you want? Do you want to be loved by men or loved by the Lord and honored by God? Do you want to obey God or are you going to obey men so that you'll be popular with men? You know, the early church had no political clout. They had no friends in high places. They didn't have anybody to pull strings for them. Instead, what did they do? They just went straight to the creator of the universe. You know, I'm not going, I'm not going to the politicians. I'm just going to go talk to the creator of the universe instead. To me, it doesn't get any higher than that. Well, I know the governor. I know the, you know, I know the, I know the, you know, the mayor. I know this person. I know the creator of the universe. Okay? My best friend spoke, put the stars in the sky, all right? I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Amen? When I was a youth pastor, people used to, kids used to talk about their gangbanger friends. Well, my homie's got my back. Okay. Well, creator of the universe got my back. Amen? He spoke the stars in the sky. He created everything. He's almighty God. He suffered and died that I might have eternal life. He rose from the dead. You know, have one of your friends raised from the dead, then come talk to me, okay? But that's who our God is. And he, we don't have to seek vengeance. We don't have to strike back. You know what I found interesting in India when I talked to the guys? When people persecuted them, they never fought back, ever. That was a rule. They just didn't do it. They would be on the ground, and 12 guys would be beating them up. They would just take it. And you would think... Well, dude, swing back. But do you see anywhere in the Bible where the apostles are swinging back? Or would you, shouldn't we just let God take care of it? You know what, Lord? I'm just going to trust you. Lord, my boss is out of control. I can get vengeance or I can put it in your hands. That guy just ripped me off on that business deal. I can get vengeance or I can put it into your hands. You know, so-and-so has been unfair. Let's just let God have it. Just put it into his hands. He's a faithful God, Amen. If you, if you lost some money, God will replace it if He wants you to have it. And if He doesn't replace it, you didn't need it anyway. Amen? You know, whatever it might be, trust the Lord. Put it into His hands. Let it be a testimony. And then lastly, we'll see God is in, is in control, that His Word will endure. Look at verse 24, last verse. But the Word of God grew and multiplied. Do we see a little bit of a contrast here? Herod was eaten by worms and died, but the Word of God grew and multiplied. So the king wanting the praise of men and propping himself up was eaten by worms and died, but the word of God endured and was multiplied. The people that puff themselves up and seek after the world, it ends in destruction. But those who seek after God and those who trust the Lord, God does great and awesome things. Kingdoms will rise and fall, but the word of God endures forever. At the beginning of this chapter, Herod seemed to be in control. The church seemed to be losing the battle. By the end of the chapter, Herod is dead. The church is alive and it's growing. What happened in this church that caused it to grow? What happened in this church that caused it to be so vibrant? What, what was it? 
I believe it's prayer. Amen? We want to see God reach Santa Cruz County. Let's pray more. Amen? Pray without ceasing. Man, what would happen if we prayed as much as we watched TV? Oh, man. Pastor Dave, that's radical now. Do you think Santa Cruz might be impacted if just the people in this room prayed as much as we watched TV? Amen? How awesome would it be? Prayer doesn't change God's mind at what? It changes our hearts. When we pray, God makes us and conforms us more into His image. And so we need to be people who pray and seek His face and trust in the sovereign hand of God. Alan Redpath said this, Let's keep our chins up and our knees down. We're on the side of victory. Amen? Let's keep our chins up. God's in control. And keep our knees down. And God still works when churches pray, and Satan still trembles when he sees the weakest saint on the planet on his knees. You want to you see the battle won? Spend time on your knees. You don't need to be more vocal in your flesh. We just need to be more humble before Almighty God. And we need to respond the way Peter responded in trials. If you're in a trial right now, or you're about to go through one, rest in the Lord, obey Him when He speaks, and testify of His love and grace when He delivers you from it. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You, Lord, that You are a loving and a gracious God. And we thank You, Lord, that just by the example of Peter, that when we go through trials, that, Lord, we can rest in You, that we never go through them alone, that You will never leave us nor forsake us. Father, may our eyes not be on the storm or on the prison cell, but, Lord, may our eyes be on You, that we might rest in You. And then, Lord, when you give us direction in the midst of the trial, may we respond in obedience to what you've called us to do. And then, Lord, I pray that as you deliver us through the trial, may we use it as an opportunity for the gospel. May we glorify and honor your name. May we point people to you. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. And again, I just want to lift up my brothers in India, Lord. I thank you for their passion for you. Father, I pray you just encourage and strengthen them today. Put a hedge of thorns of protection around them. And, Father, that same joy... And that same passion that they have, Lord, may we have it. Lord, we know that can only come by the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. Do great things here in Santa Cruz. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.